through these months, we have been in the book of Luke, and we have completed going right through the book, uh, pardon me, chapter 14 of the book of Luke, and have seen how the Lord is moving and guiding and directing our steps to understand how he communicates with us so that we can reignite our passion for Christ, the central figure, the, the focus of the gospel, and the church, the focus of the book of Acts. As we look at these chapters, as we look at these books, and when we're in this Luke-Acts series together, we are so glad that the Lord has been doing this uh, wonderful work in our midst to teach us and to en enable us, to equip us for what he would do in building up the church. This morning, we are in Acts chapter 2. So we're going to jump ahead a little bit. We're going to Acts chapter 2, as today is the day of Pentecost. Last May, we considered, so this was a whole year ago, when we were starting in the book of Ephesians. We were starting a series in the book of Ephesians. And in Ephesians chapter 1, we actually considered who the Holy Spirit is and how our glorious Heavenly Father gives us the Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that we may know Him better. The Holy Spirit is given to us so that we may know Him better. We focused on that and how does that happen and what does it mean? What is the spirit of wisdom and revelation and, whole, and all of that? This whole month, as we've been considering what it means to be filled with the Spirit, why we should be filled with the Spirit, and how we can be filled with the Spirit, we have gone through various scriptures and the truths of what the Lord lays out for us in the scripture so that we can obey His imperative, His command, to be filled with the Spirit. Today, we're looking at Acts chapter 2 to understand what did God do what did the Heavenly Father give by pouring out the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost? And why is this important for us? Why is it relevant for us today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it is living and active, and therefore it is relevant for us today. It's not just a story about something that happened to a group of people more than 2,000 years ago. No, Lord, we thank you that because your word is living and active, it applies for us today. It is necessary for us to pay attention to it. It is, Lord, important for us to understand what you want to communicate to us today. And so, Lord, we pray that you, Holy Spirit, would come into our midst right now, right here in our midst, and you would speak to us. You would teach us. You would give us that wisdom and revelation that we need. You would cause our hearts to be tuned to you so that these words would come alive in us and we would apply it to live according to your will and be filled with the Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 2, as we often do, oh, pardon me, as we always do, we want to read the whole scripture. So it's a slightly longer uh, chapter, but I encourage you just, and we're not going through every single verse in this scripture in terms of the study of it. I want to get to a few key points, but I encourage you as you read through the whole chapter, look at how 
the Holy Spirit moves. Look at how the disciples respond. Look at what they say. Read it and read it again. Go back and look at the cross references. Peter refers to passages of scripture from the Old Testament. Go back and look at those and understand what is he referring to? Why does he say this? What is going on here? And that will help you to have a much richer sense or picture of Acts chapter 2. But as we read this, I want to start right now in verse 1. And we'd start when we, uh, in Acts chapter 2 verse 1. And it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a mighty wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and other parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you, attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. 
you will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned till the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Praise God. How powerful and how complete his word is. So here, as we read through this whole chapter, what's the big deal? What's the big deal about Pentecost? By the way, the word Pentecost is just comes from the Greek word meaning 50th. And the reason that that was used, that's, this is known as the day of Pentecost, was that in the Jewish festivals, biblical festivals that God had instituted, there was Passover. And we've seen this, we've talked about this, we understand that Jesus was crucified on the cross on Passover. But 50 days after Passover, so they would count seven weeks, seven days of seven, 49 days, plus the next day as such. So the 50th day after Passover would be Shavuot, or what is what we call Pentecost. But it was that day that was celebrated as a spring festival, and it was a pilgrimage festival. The children of Israel, the men at least, were meant to go to the temple in Jerusalem for this festival, Shavuot. Now, as the church started to grow and became institutionalized and so on, the traditions shifted a little bit and we started to celebrate 
Pentecost Sunday, seven Sundays after Easter. So, you know, Easter was celebrated on a Sunday and then they would count seven Sundays and celebrate, you know, Pentecost. But it comes from this biblical, ancient Jewish festival of this uh, time of the spring harvest. And they would celebrate in these ways on, these, on this 50th day. Now, uh, there isn't an explicit reference to this, but implicitly, looking at the timeline of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, they came out of Egypt after having celebrated the very first Passover, where they would participate in that meal with the lamb and the unleavened bread, and the angel of death passed over every home on which the blood had been applied on the doorposts. So that was the first Passover. And we see how they traveled through the wilderness and they come to the mountain that God had asked Moses to bring the children of Israel to, Mount Sinai. And on Mount Sinai, Moses receives the law. And God gives him the tablets of stone that he has written his word on, his law on. If you're not speaking... Um, yeah, and he and he gives, and he gives uh, the law on Mount Sinai. So the best understanding that we have, and this is an implicit reference, the best understanding that we have would be that it was right around this period of time, this fiftieth day after, or fiftieth around the fiftieth day after Passover, that the law was given. So Jewish people today at Shavuot, at this festival that they celebrate today, they actually celebrate it as a time when the law, when Torah was given to the people, to the children of Israel. And they spend all night reading the scripture. So they commemorate this time, this festival, today, even today, as the time when the word of God was given to the children. And therefore, they read the scriptures, they memorize it, they study it, and they celebrate the giving of the word. How wonderful that that was the same period, the same time, the same context in which we read this whole account of the giving of the Spirit. The Heavenly Father, who has given us His word, has given us Jesus, the personification of that word itself, who has come to us to give us life, now gives us or pours out the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had been active even from the very beginning. In the very beginning, we read of the Holy Spirit hovering in, on the face of the earth, and we know that the Holy Spirit is active. But here on the day of Pentecost, we see these group of disciples gathered in that upper room, and upon them, as Jesus has promised that the Heavenly Father would do, is poured out the Holy Spirit. Wonderful, wonderful truth for us to recognize and to say, great, we rejoice in this. But listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 16, verses 7 through 15. He said, very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin because people do not believe in me 
about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can know, where you can see me no longer and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Jesus is speaking not just about an incident that's going to happen, and was relevant only for those first century disciples gathered in the upper room. He's speaking about the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit. He's saying the Holy Spirit will come and he will do these things for you. He will be your advocate. He will teach you. He will remind you. He will glorify me. He will be the one that convicts and brings the realization, the wisdom, the revelation to the world of who God is. So this is clearly something that is relevant for us today, not just for those early church, not just for that early church. So what does it mean for us? The pouring out of the Holy Spirit, first and foremost, establishes the work of God in the world. What kind of work? To convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment to guide us into truth, to prepare us for what is to come, to glorify Jesus. There is a work of God that is going on in the world right now. There is an advancing of the kingdom of God that takes place through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So the pouring out of the Holy Spirit that takes place or that is initiated in this very significant, very visible, very powerful way on the day of Pentecost continues right through. When Peter says, these, this is what the prophet Joel had talked about, and in the last days, God will pour out his spirit, that last days, that period, that, that, that duration is still going on. More than 2,000 years later, we're still in the last days. And there's a whole bunch of other truths that we can understand about what that means and timing and things, but the point I want to make to you this morning is we continue to be in this period where the ministry of the Holy Spirit in all these ways that we're describing is relevant and necessary. So the Holy Spirit, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit establishes the work of God in the world. Without that power of God manifest, then people are left blinded. They are left to themselves. They are left without hope. But when that convicting, regenerating power of the Holy Spirit comes, at, comes into the world, is at work, then people's eyes are opened. The blind, blinders are removed. Darkness is dispelled. And they're able to see the Messiah that they had crucified. They're able to see that this is Jesus, that who they can put their trust in. So Holy Spirit is poured out for that. The second thing is that the Holy Spirit is poured out on in the pouring out of the Holy Spirit empowers us to be witnesses to
to the ends of the earth. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, just, just before this, this chapter that we read, when, when Jesus is speaking to the disciples, he says to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So just as much as the Holy Spirit is active in the world around us and he's doing things and he can speak to people and there may be, as we have read, dreams and visions and you know, visitations of God directly, as much as that is happening, and we see the accounts of that around the world, God is also calling each one of us to be messengers of the gospel, to be messengers of the good news of the kingdom of God, the good news of salvation, to go out into all the world, into where our local area is, our Jerusalem, to go out into the extended area, our Judea or Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So that's the call that God has placed upon us and he gives us the power to do that through the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. We need that power. Otherwise, how would you go? How would you speak? How would you be able to bear the hardships or anything else that comes at you? How will you stay humble when you have great success and accomplishments? How will you be filled with the fruit of the Spirit that needs to be manifest and given to those people that you will minister to. It's possible only if we are receiving, if we, the Holy Spirit is continued to be poured out in our midst and upon us. The next thing, and this, these are two points, the next two points are very connected, but if you read the last, and so, so again, this, the, the scriptures that we've seen so far in Acts chapter 2 and those verses that I highlighted, it is... It is speaking of the promise of the Holy Spirit. God will pour out his spirit. God prophesied or God spoke through his prophets even in the past. God gave the promise to David. God laid in place all the things that were necessary so that the Holy Spirit could be poured out in this way. So there's no question about that. Peter is explaining it. He's showing them what needs to happen. And through it, it's very clear uh, you know, that the people are cut, they're convicted, the, word, the Holy Spirit is ministering, and they ask Peter, what shall we do? Peter says, oh, repent and be baptized. 3,000 people immediately respond. It is a glorious work of God that's taking place. But as we come to the last part of that chapter, and we look at the verses that, that describe what happened in the church based on the coming or the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, we read this that the Holy Spirit, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, enables devotion to teaching, fellowship, communion, or breaking of bread, right? the, the Lord's Supper, and prayer. It says that the church, as soon as this church is formed, this body of Christ, as soon as they, they start to coalesce in this way, what do they do? They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching to learning the word of God, to the truths of God, the, the very nature of who God is. They're learning, they're devoting themselves to teaching and receiving that wisdom and revelation from God. They are devoting themselves to fellowship, to be together with one another, 
to say, I care for you, my brother, my sister. I'm going to pray for you, my brother, my sister. I'm going to do everything that I can to encourage you to get closer to the Lord. There is a fellowship that happens because the Spirit has been poured out. There is a communion or there is the participation in the communion in the, as a, even, even as part of that fellowship that takes place, but a recognition that we are participating in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. We are declaring this until he returns, that devotion to participate in that communion as often as they would do it. That's coming because the power of the Holy Spirit has been poured out. And then this devotion to prayer to pray for each other, to pray for the needs around them, to pray for those in authority, to pray for all the things that are happening in the world around them as they are witnesses for the Lord, as they take the word out, as they're being persecuted, as many of them are being put to death. There was a devotion to prayer. So the Holy Spirit and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit is enabling a devotion to teaching, fellowship, communion, and prayer. By the way, you can ask any pastor anywhere around the world. And if every single person in their church would be devoted to these four things, oh, I'm telling you, every single pastor would love it. Just imagine, just think about this. Every single member in the church, every single person in the body of Christ devoted to these things, that we would make time for it, that we would give our effort to it, that we would sacrifice for it, that we would say, what can I do? How can I grow? How can I learn? I'm devoted to this. What can I do to stand with my brother and my sister? I'm devoted to this fellowship. What can I do to participate in the right manner, in the right way? Next Sunday, we will be celebrating this communion, this Lord's Supper. When we come into that time, when we celebrate that, when we say, Lord God, we are joining together. What can I do to be devoted to this? to be participating in the best possible way. And how can I be devoted to prayer? Oh, if that's what's characterizing our lives, if that is the description of our daily Christian living, that we would be devoted in these matters, I tell you, there can be such a transformation in the church. There can be such a transformation in the body of Christ around the world. So the pouring out of the Holy Spirit enables this kind of, of devotion. And then the pouring out of the Holy Spirit equips us to sacrificially care for others. You know, the people that were in Jerusalem, they had come from all the known parts of the world. They had come from all over. And they spoke different languages. They had different customs, maybe. Maybe they dressed differently. And they were together in Jerusalem because they were celebrating this feast, this call of the Lord. But when they came together in the Holy Spirit, the Bible describes these people as having things in common, of sharing, of selling what they had, maybe what they didn't, they had an abundance of, so that they could care for somebody who didn't have it who needed something, to take care of each other. They started to be united in a way that could not have happened without the work of the Holy Spirit in them. You know, as we think about all the stuff that's going on in the nation and all the stuff that's going on around the world and the problems that 
societies have had. And I was looking at a few articles and reading some things. These problems that we face with race relations, social injustice, the way that people have been cruel, cruel to others, these things don't, these are not new problems. These are things that have been going on for centuries. Ever since we see Cain killing his own brother in the Bible, we've known that people have violence and disregard and hate and all sorts of things can happen. What's the answer to it? The only way that we can see God bringing us together is when the Holy Spirit unites us so that we're not united because we're all in the same building, we're in the same movement or denomination or country. No, we're united when we are in the same Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit that is poured out upon us enables us to have compassion and care for our brothers and our sisters. It enables us to have compassion and care for those that do not know the Lord. It causes us to be stirred in our hearts. We heard the testimony earlier even of people who want to go out, who want to reach the people of the world, who want to say to them, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. He gave his life for you. He has sacrificed everything so that you can be rescued from sin, from death, the death that could not hold Jesus, that power that broke the power of death, the power of God that broke the power of death, that power is now available to you through the Holy Spirit. This same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is now available to you. That's what Jesus says. This gift is now being given to you so that you can be receiving all that the Lord has intended for your life. All that the Lord has intended for your life. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit establishes the work of God. It empowers us to be witnesses. It enables devotion. It equips us that we can respond in these ways. So when we think about this, when we consider what happened on the day of Pentecost and then what we need to respond to, I, 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 I don't know how you would not want the Holy Spirit. You know, in Psalm 84, it speaks of hungering and thirsting, of my soul longs for. And then it speaks of the rivers and the springs of, of life. And this is, the, this, this is the, the very nature of who we need to be as children of God. Hungering and thirsting for the Holy Spirit. Eager, desiring for Him to be poured out upon us and for Him to fill us. And therefore, for Him to have full control of our lives, that we would live yielded, surrendered lives to the Holy Spirit. Praise God that this is the promise of God. This is what He desires for us. So therefore, what is our response? When we hear all these words, when we understand the role of the Holy Spirit, our commitment, our response to it is, Lord, we desire the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We desire to be filled with the Spirit with all that that filling entails. What does that mean? Lord, we want the regenerating work of salvation in us. We want the convicting of sin. We want sanctification. We want to be made clean and washed and continually perfected in your presence. We want, Lord, for you to teach us, the Holy Spirit to teach us, 
We need, Lord, for humility to rise up within us. We need, Lord, for a serving heart, the work of the Holy Spirit to make us not to seek the exalted position, but to seek to serve, and through that, to receive the exaltation of God at the due time. And we want the gifts of the Spirit. We, we desire for the gifts of the Spirit so that we can serve each other, so that, the, so that one with another, complementing one another, we would build up the church. And we want the fruit of the Spirit. We want to walk in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and meekness and self-control. We want to walk in these things. We want to live this out. And Lord, we cannot do it unless we have the Holy Spirit. And so we desire the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, with all that it entails, not for our glory or our gain, but for the glory of God. So, what's our point of application this morning? Well, it's actually very simple. Be filled with the Spirit. You know, the command, and, and really it is a command, right? It's an it's a imperative statement. It's not mentioned as a, a convenience, you know, if it's convenient for you. It says, be filled with the Spirit. And this is not a one-time thing. It is as you are being filled or continually filled or you would keep being filled. I want to encourage you, especially in light of what we're reading in the scripture and what we're understanding from that, that you would seek to be filled with the Spirit. Now, let me say this. Maybe you have been told that the work of the Holy Spirit in these ways has stopped. But everything that I've just mentioned to you, that, was, that this work of the Holy Spirit was just for the first century. And we don't need this kind of outpouring of the Holy Spirit because when we're saved, we receive the Holy Spirit. And absolutely true. When we are saved, we receive the Holy Spirit. And you may have heard, oh, well, that was for them. But everything that I just mentioned to you, everything that I spoke about, it would be absolutely critical for us today as children of God and the church, to receive all of that. Why would God deny those things to us, the church? He didn't say to the first century believers, okay, I'm going to give you all this power, all these ways, empowering you, equipping you, enabling you, all this. But for those that come later, they won't have it. No, the work of the Holy Spirit continues. So we desire it. We look for it. You may have been told that you know, there's a timing part of this and that these things, the gifts and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit in these very visible ways have ceased. And again, look at what the Lord is doing through the ministry and the, the work of the Holy Spirit. Peter speaks about Jesus and says, Jesus was attested to you. Jesus was proven to be who he was by the work of the Holy Spirit in him through signs and wonders and all of these works. Again, if he, God was doing that in the first century, there's no reason to believe that he would have stopped that, that he continues to work in those ways for the benefit of the church today. In fact, as we've looked at in previous weeks, as we've looked in the book of Luke, the Lord's nature with us is progressive. He builds us up. He takes us from faith to faith from glory to glory, from strength to strength. 
not weaker, not less, but more. And not for our sakes, but so that we may know him better, so that we would serve him in a better way, so that we would get the word of God out as best as we can. He is always progressing us, moving us forward. So there is no reason to say that the Holy Spirit is not available for us or not doing these things for us in the same way today. And then some of you may have doubts. It just doesn't seem to make sense. All these statements, this sound like a, like a mighty wind and flames of fire. I just don't understand it. I don't understand why they have to speak in tongues. And is it only languages or is it, or pardon me, known languages or is it an unknown language? And, and what does, and, and you're trying to figure all this stuff out in your mind. I assure you there are answers to all these questions, but I would encourage you that you do not limit, that you do not put a constraint on what the Holy Spirit can do because you don't understand it or that it doesn't make logical sense to you. I encourage you, go after it, find the answers, seek the teaching of the Holy Spirit. But in the midst of all of that, say, Lord Jesus, you do what you want with me. Let not my doubts, uncertainties, intellect, all of my flesh stop your work in my life and let me be yielded to what you would do. Help me to understand. Give me wisdom. You are the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Give me the wisdom and understanding, but do your work in me. Then there may be others amongst you who listen to this, who are saying, I've seen people who say that they have been filled with the Holy Spirit and their lives are awful. Well, maybe, but that shouldn't stop you from seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Your relationship with the Lord is not based on whether the person next to you who claims to be filled with the Spirit is doing something or not. Your relationship with the Lord and His imperative to you to be filled with the Spirit is for you. Receive it. Receive the Holy Spirit. And for those people who may be hypocritical in their ways or maybe doing something else, well, there are explanations and there may be reasons for all of that too. And maybe they are not what they seem to be. That's for God to deal with. That's for God to judge. That's for the Holy Spirit to bring that kind of conviction to them. You need to say, Lord, what do I need to do? How should I respond? How do I apply? And so I encourage you to press into the Lord. Now, as you do that, again, looking around you, you may have all sorts of questions. You may have all sorts of doubts. You may have been taught all sorts of things. But I encourage you, go to the Lord. Go to the Word. Read it. Ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate to you and pray. Seek the work of the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you, and He will. Jesus said, If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Spirit to those that ask Him? And he said, you ask and you will receive. You seek and you will find. You knock and the door will be open to you. So I encourage you this morning. Don't let anything else stop you. Don't let the statements about behavior or method. Or, and, and, and again, 
it, the way that the Holy Spirit will work in your life is going to look completely different from the way that he works in somebody else's life. God purposely doesn't prescribe a method. He doesn't say, this is the only way in which to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the, definitely the only evidence that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say that. He says, you be filled with the Spirit. And as you experience the work of God in your life, you know, you will know that the Holy Spirit is at work. The Holy Spirit is transforming you into Jesus' likeness. And you won't have to worry about, does it look like this other person's experience or does it not look like this other person's experience? Because I don't want that. No, you simply say, Lord God, you work in me. You do what you need in me. So this morning, I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. I want to say to you that on this day of Pentecost, when the world talks about the pouring out of the Spirit, don't let it be a story about what happened to somebody else. Don't let it be a story that you just sort of hear and let it go. But I want to challenge you that in response you will say, Lord, help me. Let me be filled with your Spirit. And maybe you are listening to me right now and you're saying, oh, I've already been filled with the Spirit. Well, this message applies to you because the Bible is not saying have a one-time experience. The Bible is saying be continually filled. So for everybody who's hearing me, I want to encourage you, pray, call out to the Lord. Let this day, this day of Pentecost, be the opportunity for you to say to the Lord Jesus, come, come and fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Come and keep me filled with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Tomorrow, be I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Day after tomorrow, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Next week, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Next month, next year, Lord, 10 years, till you take me home or you return, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit is in me in that way, Oh, Lord God, let your power, let your purpose, let your presence be manifest to the people around me. In my home, in my workplace, when I'm driving on the road, anywhere, let this be manifest through me. We're going to spend a few minutes in prayer. For those of you who are online um, and in the live stream, you can pray on your own. I encourage you to continue to pray and to reach out and ask the Lord. For those of you who are on the Zoom call and other means of connecting, we're just going to spend a few more minutes in prayer. Not, not a long time here, but I want to encourage you to press into the Lord. This morning, don't leave from this service. Don't leave from this time without taking at least a minute to say, Lord God, I want to press into you. I want to receive your Holy Spirit. And then, as you go about the rest of this day, as you go about the rest of this week, Call out to the Lord. Set apart a little bit of time. Call out to Him and say, Lord God, fill me with your spirit. Come and fill me. Take control of my tongue. If you want me to, Lord, give you control of my tongue, let me do that, Lord, without trying to fight it, without trying to rationalize it, without any other, anything else of my flesh. Come, Lord Jesus. So we're going to pray. We're going to ask the Lord to move. I encourage you to keep praying.